to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview and speak with people doing stuff in the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your uh, program host, Patrick Egan, and as we always do, let's say a hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Gene. Hello, Patrick. I, I hope you're doing well, and cootie free i like to say that i am positively negative and uh well i tell you what talk about doing things man it has been a crazy 30 45 days on this end of the program uh yeah well it's been uh it's been crazy everywhere it's i mean 2021 uh seems to be uh getting uh weirder let me see here (laughs) Our guest is having problems getting on here. That's no good. Yeah, you didn't have any problems, did you? Uh, No, I just dialed the number and you said hello and here we are. So I'm trying to do that. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the video and I mean, it's it's some cool looking stuff. So I I really hope you can get it on figure this whole thing out. Well, let me tell you, I, I, I can tell you a little bit about my holidays, which were no holidays. I I was on searches for, you know, doing what I do and, you know, trying to bring closure to families. And, and I, I hate to admit it was unsuccessful, but, uh, you know, Christmas Eve, I was out there flying and, you know, hoping I could I could do some good. And uh, it just didn't stop. It just kept going, and there were there were more people going missing. And uh, you know, I've, I've got people contacting me wanting to learn more about search and rescue. And uh, it, it, I'm wondering where it's all coming from. Don't these people now? Don't they take a vacation from getting lost? What's wrong with these people? You know, I think that's uh, kind of driving people out there. I think it's uh, sending people out into the into the wild that may not have the experience that they need and they don't do the homework that they should. And next thing you know, they're lost. Yeah. Well, I will say that. I mean, I've been watching these uh, videos on YouTube, which I think everybody has because everybody that's on YouTube has got like eight gazillion views, but you know, they're like uh, extreme, you know, camping and and bushcrafting and I'm out there in two feet of snow and the wind's howling. And I'm like, ah, from the couch with the heat on, I'm like big stinking deal. You know, anybody can do that. Um, so do, when you do get out there, you're uh, you're dealing with some stuff. I've been spending a lot of time in the mountains, and you know, we were doing some turkey hunting and stuff. And uh, I, you know, we, I, I, you know, I live in a state with 40 million people, and uh, we really don't see a lot of people. When we maybe we're just uh, too high in the Sierras. I don't know. Maybe that's it. But uh, lots of wildlife. Bobcats, coyotes, lots of, um, let's say, evidence left behind by bears and uh, mountain lions. But, uh, you know, yeah, you know, you got to keep your your eyes peeled out there, you know. But, uh, you know, speaking of YouTube, um, I am finally, and and please, dear listener, uh, you know, help me out here because I am, a baby when it comes to the YouTube thing, but I am going to open up my own YouTube channel. I figured that um, since everybody else is doing it, and that seems to be the way to, to get information out, that 
after 16 years now of doing search and rescue with drones that, you know, I, I might be able to, to say something that might help somebody else down the road. So here we go. It's going to be Gene Robinson, SAR drones, and uh, I'm going to launch the channel here. Well, the, the channel's out now. I just got to put some, some content to it, but uh, I got a lot of things that uh, I, I think I can put out as videos that people will appreciate. So there. I, I think it's a good idea. And if people want to learn stuff, they could go there and uh, and do that. Because I know you got, I mean, you know, it's funny. We Last time we talked, I, I think you could probably, you know, write a paper for a PhD. And uh, I don't know who we would get to uh, peer review it, but uh, I think you could you could probably do that and uh, write at the equivalent level type of paper, what you know. Uh, you know a lot of uh, stuff. You've been out there in the field forever, man. I, I think between us, we probably have uh, hundreds of pages of dissertation. Uh, I know you have, and, and I certainly have with white papers and everything else. So uh, maybe one of our listeners can tell us, how do we get one of those PhDs or a degree from someone where you can't really do a peer review because there's nobody else that has as much experience as you do. Maybe we can get some help on that. I don't know, you know, or maybe I could just start calling myself Dr. Professor Patrick. <laughs> well, there are people that, that do that. I I can tell you that. Oh, hey, man, you know, whatever. Um, or I could just start my own thing or something. I don't know. Um Anyway, so yeah, that's a good thing, uh, and I'm I'm interested to see that. That ought to be some good learning, and I do like to watch the the YouTube videos and, and see what people have to say. Um, so that should be interesting. We'll have to keep an eye out. You'll have to tell us how that how progresses. Um, and then you know, as we always do, this like customary or perfunctory question is new stories that have caught your attention this week, Gene. Wow. Um... Yeah. Which one? Which one you take the pick from? Uh, you know, RID is in the news. Obviously, uh, as a manned pilot, I'm I'm certainly interested to see how that's going to go, and, and unmanned pilot as well. Um, it, it seemed like there was a little chicanery that went on there to to get it popped out, and uh, I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Um, well, you know, it's interesting. I, I you know. I don't even have enough time. I could have like 40 chimps on 40 computers, you know, looking for stuff. When I do research for uh, articles, when I'm writing an article, I, get, I just get bogged down in, in all of this stuff that's already been written and all of this uh, insights that have already been given. And, um, you know, I did write a story, I guess, you know, it was at OMB was, was doing meetings back in October for the RID. You, yeah. could, you could get a meeting and it had some of the folks that had reserved meetings and DJI was one of them. You know, and I, and I think I mentioned this before, but in October, I had a, um, a woman from a company call me and tell, oh, you know, our T-Mobile uh, pick test, we're going to be the network provider, and you'll buy your little thing and put it on the drone, and, you know, RID was going to be free. You pay for the subscription cost with the, you know, for the, for the SIM card or, you know, whatever, and I was like, hmm, yeah, free. I haven't gotten anything for free in a long time. Uh, it's been a while. So... But, but, you know, that network ID thing, which everybody was like kind of hanging the hat on beyond visual line of sight, which is still just a total pipe dream. I, it, as I get older, and this is probably going to make me sound like more of a curmudgeon, 
But as I get older, I can't believe how stupid people are. I, you know, and that's going to, you know, you can send your hate mail to me or whatever, but it's just like th- this has been a cycle of false promises. Oh, yeah, you throw that all away and give up on all of that and we're going to give you this and it just doesn't happen. Um, and that's what happened with RID. Even with the network, there, there's latency issues and the rest of that. And when the man community, the man community, I think people forget too, it's not just the FAA. You got the FAA and then you have the man community. And I notice more and more AOPA and HAI are trying to shoehorn their way in to, you know, hey, we want to be droners too because there's $82 billion here and all of our members are going away. Uh, so we want to get in on this. But you got to remember that AOPA and HAA, HAI were the uh, groups that really stuck it to the droners. AOPA especially wanted an equivalent level of safety, demanded that the FAA did something, demanded that the FAA did something about the RC hobby. And this is before the quadcopter. So back in uh, 2005, you probably remember that. I, I was at an RTCA meeting. Remember that? They had a congressional hearing and nobody told us and AOPA slammed their hand down on the desk and got these uh, yahoos out here and all the rest of that. So, what you got now, you could thank them directly. Um, so that's something that should be uh, considered. But this RID thing, it's a panacea. It's not – still need certification to fly over people, which we were saying from way before. And uh, even if you did have the network ID thing, there's signal latency and the rest of that. And you remember the big hassle of TCAS? Oh, you can't put TCAS oh, on because there's signal latency. And when it says pull up, you're supposed to immediately react. And, you know, so – we, we've heard every excuse under the sun, but that you know that's that's my view on uh, the best laid plans of mice and men. What, what are yours? You know, I think that's that may be a, something for you, Patrick. You seem to be the keeper of all the the steps and stumbles and stuff that has gone on since literally since 2005. When we were at that uh, ASTM meeting in Reno. That was kind of the kickoff. Well, you actually, probably we know off before the, that. Well, I know it did, but I mean that's where where I first met you, and and uh, and that's when we started, you know, becoming partners in crime, so to speak. I won't go into the details of that, but um, uh, you seem to have just an expansive knowledge of of the sequence of events that people seem to be so surprised about that. Oh, that really happened. Uh, yeah, and and here's the article and that maybe where your niche is going to be, my friend. Well, I don't think so, because, uh, you know, I just got my, sorry, you're not a winner uh, letter from <laughs> the uh, stakeholder guy at the UASIO, and, uh, you know, I didn't get picked for the DAC, which I didn't think I'd get picked for the DAC, because, uh, <clears throat> you know, every time I go there, the the uh, assumptions that they're working on or whatever else are stale, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they're 10, 15, 20 years old. And for some reason, you know, people would think, you know, that if we were going to get to the goal of uh, full NAS integration, as Congress mandated for 2015, that you'd want to, let's say, not try things that you've already done before or stumble over the same pitfalls, blah, 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 right? You'd think, right? A logical person? You would think. Right. And I think that that would be uh, advantageous for them. And, I'm not, you know, there are a couple of other old-timers. People are dropping out, though, but there are a couple of other old-timers that could offer that service and say, hey, you know, we already went down that road, didn't work. We need to do this or whatever. So, I mean, and, and you know, here's here's another thing that, uh, and, I, and we're going to have to leave it there because I don't want to run out of time with our guests, but 
Uh, you know, I'm even seeing rumblings with, you know, this UAM and AAM thing. And, and I got to tell people, you got to be careful because I think a lot of the drone snake oilers are just moving over to the flying car business and they had no idea how to make the drone thing work and were unsuccessful and they're rolling over here. And now I hear rumblings that they're saying, well, maybe we should just use the same uh, ATC process um, VFR that helicopters are using. Okay, then why not just have electric helicopters? Cut out the middleman, cut out all the certification, cut out all the vertiports, you know. You got all kinds of uh, opportunities that that opens for you or takes away, depending upon how you look at it. Any any comments on that? Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, Will Robinson. That's, <laughs> that's all you well, can really say about that approach. Well, it just seems like years of, of wasted time again. But anyway, whatever the case. Anyway, let's... Uh, Let's bring on our guest. I mean, even that, the conversation is very good, and I think it's very relevant and pertinent But uh, to what's going on here, because um, uh, all people, all, I'm, and the more I, uh, messages I'm getting, with, the only light at the end of the tunnel is a, a locomotive, but uh, whatever. <laughs> anyway, let's, uh, let's bring on our guest. We have, today we have Joe Eiffel. He's the CEO and founder of this Dash Systems. And what I'm going to do is, I usually do, is I let these people uh, give us the highlights of their bio. And I usually say, and how they got involved with unmanned aircraft systems, but that's not really the case with this guest. Um, our guest today is, uh, let's say, has a different twist on airborne delivery. So, Joel, could you could you give us a little uh, bio? Hey, Dr. Patrick Jean, so good to be here. Uh, it's Professor yeah. Dr. Patrick. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me, I yeah. got it wrong. Yeah, it's so good to be here. So, uh, you know, as mentioned, I'm Joel Eiffel, founder, CEO of Dash Systems. A uh, background is in engineering, uh, welding engineering to be exact. And I like to joke it's uh, extremely relevant and completely irrelevant to what I do. Uh, but my, my background uh, that got me here is uh, uh, my first job was working on precision guided munitions, better known as smart bombs. Uh, and then I went and worked at a yeah, national lab. Sense. Yeah, yeah, it's starting to make a little sense. And then I, I worked at a national lab on the next generation of nuclear reactors for the U.S. Navy uh, before coming into the civilian side of aerospace uh, and being a consultant in safety systems uh, and uh, uh, safety system automation. How can you make things that don't fail? Uh, yeah. But uh, really, uh, you know, that, that first experience kind of alludes to how I got to Dash Systems. Well, you know, well, I, 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 I can didn't... tell you. Go ahead, I, I was telling Patrick, uh, I, I watched your video, and it's a very, very compelling video, too, by the way. But uh, when, when, the, when the pod popped out, I was telling Patrick, I said, that, that really looks like some, some urgency kind of things that I've seen before in my military past. And he was like, hmm, you know, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that makes uh, sense uh, now. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing that you had on here is, you know, you had, uh, what would you say, uh, system failure um, stuff that you did. I mean, that plays a lot into um, the unmanned world. And then also if you're delivering uh, smart weapons, you kind of want them to be smart and, uh, you know, go on target and all the rest of that. So it does kind of play in here. And usually though, what I do is I usually at the end, I go, Hey, you know, maybe you could tell us a website where, you know, listeners uh, can um, learn more about your company, but I think you should give it now because I, I think uh, the video is really good. It was funny. And so, you know, Joel sent it to me the other day and he's like, Oh, you know, what do you think about this? And I think you were looking for that, uh, the Egan sunshine, but I really liked it. 
you know, it had just the right amount of lens flare. It told the story of what you're doing. So maybe <laughs> you can do that for the listeners. Yeah, uh, it is uh, shipping.com D-A-S-H shipping.com, all one word. Yeah, and run over there and look at the video because it really kind of explains um, – well, it explains a lot. And, and, you know, like I said, so you're not really, uh, you're not a drone company. You're an airborne delivery company. And there are a few things that I like about that. But why don't you, if you could, kind of uh, coalesce what you believe Dash is, uh, since it's not a drone company, you know, for the benefit of the listeners. Yeah, yeah, we're drone adjacent. Uh, uh, if you want the, uh, the military jargon, we're uh, a precision aerial delivery systems company. Uh, we really like to say, though, uh, layman's terms, we do uh, high-precision, low-cost uh, airdrop systems, so commercial airdrops. And, and really, when you kind of boil that down, is giving uh, air- aircraft, be it you know fixed wings, helicopters, or drones, the ability to launch and land cargo mid-flight and do it safely and precisely. Uh, and when we say precisely, you know, it's landing in the face of a helipad uh, repeatedly, uh, routinely in uh, a commercial setting. Well, and, and for the benefit of the listeners, what 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 are we talking on this this helipad? Is it what like fifteen meters, twenty meters? Uh, standard a, a standard helipad is ten point five meter diameter circle, or eleven okay. meter. I'm a little uncertain. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, you know, and, and if you think about reference. that, yeah, yeah. You know, it's um, uh, it's it's just that basis, that kind of conceptual basis of you know, we accept a helicopter landing in an airport. Why can't we accept a pallet landing in the same helipad size circle? Right, and and I'm going to jump forward since we're kind of you know talking about this. So this what okay, so for me it's obvious, but I'm going to ask you the question, and because uh, you know people have already heard me drone on about it. Uh, why are, are not drones and you know in the video you're showing aircraft? Why why are you focusing on aircraft? Yeah, you know, and we like to be uh, say a little friendly. We we uh, we do tests on on drones on helicopters. Is this the fixed-wing manned aviation market is bigger, and it's truly, the, you know, the infrastructure is already there. Uh, so, you know, we kind of see it conceptually. Building new airframes, be it, you know, electric EV, all that, they're great missions. It's just, that's a really expensive, really slow process. And as you guys were talking about earlier, there's just a lot around the, I say, the safety and regulation side. You know, our whole uh, thesis is, hey, we're going to give existing airframes a new tool so you already have a Cessna 208. Now we can do a delivery anywhere it can fly over. Uh, it just adds a lot of work to your, uh, you know, just a lot of uh, work and revenue to your repertoire without having to reinvent the wheel and try to build a better Cessna 208. Well, you're, okay, so you're, you're hitting on the obvious points. Uh, you know, uh, there's, you know, our, our buddy over at Aeroville, Ted McGear's big, you know, his thing is this aircraft make money when they're in the air. And uh, you you kind of hit on the, that point there. The infrastructure already exists. The regulatory environment already exists. You can fly anywhere, you know, whatever, at night, whatever, you know. Uh, and so your tool is something that, uh, hey, you know, it already meshes with something. And, and I like how you say you, that you're including drones in the deal. I think if you were trying to do only do drones, it'd be a, a, a slow row to hoe. Yeah. Because of yeah. those, those limitations. So watching the video, and this is another thing, you know, and, and I'd like to get a little bit of your feedback on this one. I watch, you know, and just from a delivery standpoint, because I'm sure you've got the spreadsheet, you've crunched the numbers and 
went through this and went, hmm, what works and what doesn't work. When I see drone delivery and, and I see them like, you know, flying over a neighborhood with a, a burrito and a box on a string, I'm like, that, that, that I, I just don't understand how that scale is ever going to work or how you would ever make any money. And uh, the way that you're doing things is a little bit different. So maybe you could uh, fill us in on your, on your uh, thoughts about that. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of share with you, you know, I do think there are some, you know, uses for drones in the last mile, but you're right, that's a, that's a, you know, uh, you're, you're making a couple cents or a buck on a delivery, that's a hard way to, to a billion dollars or even just paying back, uh, you know, all the airframe and infrastructure costs. And, you know, what we see here, I'll throw out a few numbers, uh, you know, air cargo as a whole right now accounts for about 0.8% of tons delivered it accounts for 33% of all shipping revenue globally. It is huge. Wow. You know, if you want something across a continent, across the ocean in a single day, it's coming on an airplane. There is no way around that. And yes, in the future, we might have, you know, more efficient or electric aircraft. It's still going to be coming on an airplane. Uh, and despite all that, industry average load factor, the, you know, the fraction of an airplane that's full is about uh, 44%, under 50%. It's a little higher in some places, it's really low in North America. If you're FedEx and you're delivering to, to Idaho, you're flying that airplane, whether it has one package in the back or it's full, and you don't just get to swap out to a smaller airplane on a different day. Our whole thing was saying, well, wait a second. You already have that airplane. You already have all this empty or underutilized space. We can fill it up. We don't have to you know, land everything at Boise. Why don't we drop it into other towns? Uh, why don't we drop it and drop it right into your, uh, you know, your shipping centers, your fulfillment centers on the way. You're already flying the airplane. It's, it's like a marginal cost to do this. So a, a lot of what we see is just, you know, basically we're removing landings from the equation of air cargo. We can go to multiple destinations in a single flight. And that's kind of game changing from, a, a, I say, a revenue perspective or a cost perspective. Right. And uh, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. We could probably uh, delve into the the uh, land takeoff and landing dynamic. Yeah. Um, you, do you want to hit on? Maybe you could just hit on a couple of the high points just for the uh, the VTOL crowd. What uh, takeoffs and landings really mean for you know, say, a fixed wing system? Yeah, yeah. So uh, some high ones, you know, uh, the climb up the hill, climb up to altitude is where you're doing all your you know your highest burn. On these shorter mm-hmm. regional flights, that can be 20, 30 percent of your fuel usage right there. Uh, think of other things: landing fees, uh, AOG aircraft on ground, the time it takes to unload the airplane. Uh, you start adding up all those and 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 uh, cycle times. How many times you can cycle on your takeoff and landings? Uh, you're talking about uh, a big, significant uh, portion of your cost, and it's also the whole reason why you know today you don't see an airplane take off from you know LA land at Denver, you know, land at Kansas City, land at Chicago, then land at New York, they're usually almost always uh, one-stop flights. You know, you take off and you fly directly to, to New York City, and you just kind of wave to the people in Denver on your way over. So if you can remove that from the equation, you're just, uh, you're just saving so much time and money uh, right down to insurance costs for, for things like, uh, you know, aircraft on ground. You just you, you break something, you're sitting there waiting for a spare part. Exactly. And when are aircraft losing money? When they're on the ground. When they're when they're on the ground, yeah. So you're hitting on all those high points, and the, and the reason I made you run through that, I mean, it's pretty elementary, but uh, many people in you know the the drone industry or new technology and software don't understand the cost associated with 
um, you know, uh, aircraft, uh, maybe even part 135 or, or whatever it is that we get into the flying cars thing. I don't think people really factored that. You know, there's going to be landing fees because I don't think we're going to be dumping people out of these flying cars to avoid the landing fees. You always wanted a parachute, you know, in downtown New York. Here you go. Give them a hot dog or something on the way out. But, uh, yeah, those are those are some obvious costs that people have to factor in. Someday I'd really like to get a look at your Excel spreadsheet with everything factored in here because I'm sure there's a, it's pretty interesting, um, you know, what, what you're counting uh, and, and how your, your company is going to make money. So, I mean, you know, and then I want to, I guess, go back to the question of, of why you started Dash. I mean, I think we've already covered a lot of that territory. Um, you're trying to think about ways to, let's say, make delivery more efficient uh, and more cost effective. But is there like a, I know this has humanitarian uh, use. Now, I know you said you, know, you, were, you were doing the munitions thing, but you were like, hey, you know, I, I want to get out of this and I want to help people. What, 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 why did you start it? Yeah, you know, th- that's uh, very much it. And, you know, I'll start with that big vision of, you know, we want to do one-day delivery anywhere. And when we say anywhere, we mean, you know, the tip of Alaska in the wintertime, South Sudan in a humanitarian crisis. Anywhere you can overfly an airplane, we want to do a delivery. And, you know, that's a pretty big vision, and you have to support it with something. So I'll just give you the, the really quick story here. When, when I founded Dash and really just kind of working on this as a concept, uh, Hurricane Maria hit, the worst hurricane in 100 years. Uh, I flew down to Puerto Rico, uh, no power, you know, uh, no roads, uh, no 4G. Most of the nav aids were taken offline as well, ILS systems for those in the aviation community, a lot of the inland nav aids. But when you were flying inland, there was nothing. Uh, the, some towns like Las Marias or Tuato, they had gone 14 days without any contact in the outside world. Uh, we mm-hmm. took a Cessna 208. We flew over those locations. We delivered thousands of pounds. We turned it from 14 days into 45 minutes. And we did it at the cost basis of using an old uh, uh, FedEx feeder air. You know, that to me is just one of the, just really the highlights of, hey, this is possible. This is legal. We can do this today in the current FAA structure. And there's definitely people in need who would gladly pay, you know, a next day air cost to get something you know, one day after a hurricane. And, and also part of my challenge is, uh, you know, to you, there's, there's a lot of talk in the drone community of, oh, search and rescue, uh, this is a, a, a big application. I always say, well, how come I was the only one actually showing up in hurricanes, actually uh, moving, you know, thousands of pounds uh, per day? You know, that's really uh, my challenge uh, to the community is, uh, you know, why aren't more people doing this? It should be done. Well, and, and, you know, what year was that that you were, because I don't recall when that hurricane. 2017. Yeah, yeah, that was that was uh, 2017. Yeah, because we don't have any hurricanes out here. But go ahead, Gene. Gene could probably uh, some of them. Yeah, I I think I can answer the question. And um, this is kind of one of those cold, hard facts that uh, has come about of, you know, 15, 16 years of doing search and rescue is there's no money in saving lives. I I hate to say that, but it's true, uh, you know, because uh, if there was, then there would be folks flocking to, to doing this humanitarian stuff. You have to do it out of the goodness of your heart, and it's the right thing to do. Um, but, you know, as a career path, it's it's uh, not one of those things that people aspire toward, or uh, as, as a business plan either. You know, it's just uh, one of those unfortunate 
realities of life. Well, that and I want to, one other thing is, is, you know, we, okay, so you're, you're using aircraft, which uh, you have a little bit of a, um, I'd say a different dynamic because even, God, was that Katrina gene where they were pulling uh, the wings off of Ravens and duct taping them to the side of helicopters? Or was that after Katrina? No, that was Katrina because I was there on that one. And yes, they were, they were duct taping all sorts of little drones to, that had sensors on them to, to the skids of UE-212s. And because we couldn't fly. Um, so there's been a lot of that, or even that Mount Hood deal where, you know, you, they wouldn't let you guys fly until the uh, winds hit, you know, hurricane for what, 70, 70 knots or something. It was, it was crazy. Uh, so there has yeah. been a limitation with that. So I do think that uh, that is one of the advantages that you have, Joel, with uh, using manned aircraft. Is there's, I'm sure there were procedures and, and a process, and you talk to people and say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fly in and do this. Oh, okay, that sounds good, and we're going to do that. Was, was that kind of the case, or did you uh, – did you, did you, yeah, like, yeah. how did you make yeah, that happen? I, yeah, you know, always been in, I say, the good graces and cooperation with the FAA. And from a process standpoint, a lot of what we're doing, you know, we're replicating, you know, how a helicopter would land or skydiving operations in terms of just how you set it up from a safety basis, which is also part of the reason, you know, we were able to spin up a little bit quicker in uh, new ops for uh, hurricane relief work is, you know, we don't need a special waiver or a special permission. This is essentially a normal op that you could already do today um, in a helicopter or, you know, like a one-time setting up skydiving. So it just, it removes that friction and that newness of, you know, are we operating an unmanned system over, you know, uninvolved people? No, we're flying a fixed wing uh, as you would, uh, for a skydiving operation. So, right. and uh, it, yeah. And, well, there was one other thing you hit on there too. Is, okay. So, so this is another thing, you know, I've, I've kind of beat people up on there. You're digital humanitarians and you're, you know, Oh, I'm going to go to the disaster area and I'm going to help. But, you know, you, you hit on this early on is usually when a disaster hits an area, there's no infrastructure. And if you go yeah. there and you negatively impact the infrastructures that's there, and you're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm one guy. What do I need? You know, food, water, uh, shelter, things like that. Um, you're you're already taxing a, a system that's broken. So even with your model, um, you know, you talked about not landing, so you don't need the uh, infrastructure, you don't need the power, you don't need the bandwidth, you don't need any of that. Hey, we're just going to come in. Uh, we, we, we drop the, um, the payload, and that's another thing I like about, uh, I tell people about cargo. Why do we laugh about cargo? But those numbers that you gave us is good, but I'm, I'm all, that's one thing I kind of like about Unman. And, you know, people are like, oh, we've got to call people around. Uh, I'm more into the payload, you know, let's take payload out <laughs> there. So I, I think that's, uh, you know, perfect for that application is you're not taxing a broken infrastructure. So that's, that's good. And that kind of yeah, leads if, in. So if I could just double click on that, you know, that's exactly it. You know, first rule of search and rescue: don't be a victim yourself. We fly in from, yeah, uh, uh, yeah an unaffected, uh, uh, you know, uh, airport a hundred miles away, which is still, you know, less than an hour flight in an aircraft. Uh, we fly directly into the area. We do our delivery. We come back, and uh, you know, by Hurricane Michael or so, I can get that operation down to setting up within a few hours of arriving. Uh, you know, with, even with a brand new pilot who'd never done it before. So just really, you know, bring the friction out of the process. And, you know, I do agree, you know, the pay side is hard, 
but there were people who were willing to pay because they were already paying for uh, supplies to be overnighted, and they just sit there uh, at the airport because they couldn't get them the last 50 miles into town. Yes, um, and that's another, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, in, in well, not funny, but ironic, you know, with the disaster situation, it's like people, I don't think people really, uh, you know, it's one thing like, hey, I'm thirsty, and I want to go get a cold Coke, or I want something else, or I want to, you know, mm, I'm, I'm hungry, and I want a candy bar, or whatever, you know, and there's a total breakdown of infrastructure, you know, there's no clean water, there's no food, you know, there's no way to cook the food, or, or, or whatever else, and, um, it, it, it only takes a short time for, for things to get kind of critical. So your system too, not having to d- rely on any of that and offloading and all the rest of that stuff, you're really uh, kind of making that uh, mission, uh, let's say, more efficient. Um, and and that all sounds great. So, you know, segueing into that, we do have a, a listener question. And the listener's from Africa, and he wanted to know from the Dash team there, you mentioned Africa several times in your video. How about some specifics on CONOPS and what countries you intend to start with? And then he follows up and says, I see 50% of the countries here where this concept is not viable for many more years to come. Unless that package drops in a secure compound, it will disappear in five seconds. And that's just the reality on the ground. I, although, yeah, I, I told him, too, I go, you know, I live here in, you know, California in the Porch Pirates, man. If you don't, you're not home when the package comes, you know. You can just kiss <laughs> it, you know. But uh, did you want to unpack some of that? Yeah, yeah. And I'll start first on, on his last part of the question. And uh, that is one of the, the biggest benefits when we talk to uh, operators in Alaska. You know, it's like uh, consigned deliveries, be it uh, uh, medicines, especially narcotics, you know, painkillers right. or that. Uh, refrigerated deliveries and, and again this is a this is a b2b play we're not trying to get five pounds to your doorstep we're trying to get you know uh, hundreds of pounds uh you know of supplies into uh, a medical facility into a hospital uh or into a uh, you know a regional um logistics facility uh so uh i mean anyways that's where we see it and actually uh that consignment part has been one of the benefits and one of the i say uh, the biggest highlights, it's, it's really hard to steal a package from an airplane in flight, uh, and it's a, a lot easier consignment chain uh, for things like cash delivery when you can take it right from the blank, put it on a, on a 208 with a pilot that you trust, uh, and then fly it over uh, you know, facilities and actually do cash deliveries. I was surprised that was one of the, um, the biggest highlighted uses was uh, in the cash economy countries. It's just uh, the courier just either he either gets robbed or he just walks away with you know twenty thousand dollars in a backpack. Uh, this kind of helps uh, change Find that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, change that uh, equation. Uh, so I'd say the two the the two ones we can kind of highlight and talk about has uh, been the medical use case. You know, especially cold chain, and it's again mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. the last fifteen miles; it's the last five hundred miles. It's you know getting it from Entebbe in Uganda. Uh, to anywhere in the range of a 208, which is hundreds and hundreds of miles, uh, and then uh, enterprise deliveries, and then finally cash. Uh, and I can't talk too much about uh, customers. I will say, sure, uh, give sure. a huge shout out, should, should shout out to Mission Aviation Fellowship and AirServe International, the two biggest nonprofit uh, flight services providers in Africa. Yeah, that's good. I, you know, I think that people, um, there are countries that uh, do have cash economies because the um, fraud is just off the chain. And uh, that's kind of how they have to do things. And yes, you're, you're, you know, talking about some of the realities of cash economy. 
Um, the yeah. other thing that I wanted to talk about, maybe you can talk to this a little bit, because, you know, I, I've um, dealt with this for a long time. You know, everyone talks about, you know, the Arctic and, and delivering to Nanook. You know, I, I remember when Matternet started out, I talked to them about it. I said, hey, look, you know, if you're going to work with drug companies, when you have to make it, you know, 100 percent of the time or somebody could die. And then there's a whole yeah. bunch of implications for that. But the other thing is, is you have to have the reliability. You touched on it, controlled substances. So certain, you know, pharmaceuticals are controlled substances. And people think, oh, well, I'm just going to be, you know, flying that from CVS on the drone over to Mulberry Street, and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I think that's a, a oversimplification of uh, the realities of, of delivering controlled substances. Can you maybe... Um, Give us a little insight into that. Yeah, so that, you know, uh, consignment and chain of command for, you know, it, it, controlled substance or just high-value uh, items, you know, one-off, et cetera, is a mm-hmm. thing. Uh, it is a thing that's regulated, and uh, I think actually it's a barrier most people don't uh, recognize. It's, it's not a free lunch. You, you have to go through a lot of regulatory paperwork to be able to take some of those deliveries, even if you're an existing, you know, Part 135 air carrier today. Uh, mm-hmm. Where we see it is, uh, hey, this actually makes the consignment chain easier. It is from the secured facility onto the airplane. Pilots are a little bit easier uh, to certify. Uh, they generally don't steal airplanes or steal stuff. Uh, and then right to the location, right to the consignee, to the doctor who takes receipt of it. Uh, so we do see that as a thing. I'll be, I'll be honest, it's not uh, the first customer, early customer you talk to because uh, uh, it is so constrained. This saying, "Hey, I want to airdrop, uh, you know, a, a, a medically consigned uh, product," uh, uh, is just actually asking to change uh, a little bit of regulation. But it is a reasonable and doable path. Um, and again, it's something that customers came to of, "Hey, we're doing this, and theft is a concern." Or a lot of it was temperature control. Cold chain is a concern. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard to get a cold chain. Ironically, in Alaska, out in the countryside. Uh, because you're going to sit on a ramp for two days uh, waiting for the weather to clear up so you can fly into a small community, uh, and you just don't have the temperature, all these temperature controls uh, while you're doing that, or you're, or you're just burning down a clock. Well, you know, it's interesting that you hit on that point, because these are, I always say that the, the lessons are all learned in the field. You know, it's, it's yeah. very easy to sit in a nice temperature-controlled office and, uh, ah, you know, postulate about what's going to happen out there, but uh, you're, you're hitting it, you know? So we're waiting for the weather to clear sitting out here. These are other issues that you have to think about. Uh, even the, uh, you know, so let's say the controlled stuff, uh, you know, there's other lower hanging fruit. And I got another question for you, you know, cause people are like, Oh, we're using drones to deliver blood, which actually I'd seen that happen back in 2009 um, and, and 10 where there were companies that were had drones that were delivering blood. And I know that there's some complications with, you know, let's say impact and whatever else. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about that with, with your product? And I mean, do you, do you meet those standards? Can you deliver blood, organs, whatever else? Is, is the impact soft enough? Uh, yeah, so that's an interesting one. So, in, and I'll just give this one because it's not well known. Yeah, blood has a really low shock limit. Uh, if right. you uh, hydraulically shock blood, the plate would separate, from my understanding. Uh, yep. I can't remember the exact, exact number, but it's low. Um, yeah, so uh, I'd say that is something we are working towards. Uh, again, as a first customer saying, 
I will do the organ and the cost of failure is someone doesn't get a heart is not the first customer we seek. But, uh, you know, again, we, we forged a lot of this in hurricane delivery where it was life or death. If we didn't get the supplies, people truly were in need. uh, And this Mm -hmm. was their next bottle of water. So uh, it's not something we shy away from, uh, but uh, it's, it's also not the, I say the first customer. And I'll, I'll say, to a lot of the, from my understanding, some of the drone guys went to medical deliveries because it's the only thing that's very small, very high value, and one off that can support the infrastructure of a, you know, the bespoke infrastructure of a drone network. So um, I think a lot of people had to gravitate towards medical deliveries. We're we're much more agnostic. You know, if it fits in the box, we'll ship it. All right. Well, well and there is. Oh, go ahead. I, I, I don't mean to geek out on you or anything like that, but as a man pilot and a drone pilot, when, when you talk about sitting on the tarmac, what altitude can you push one of your pods out at? Uh, what's what the highest say, altitude you can go? What's, what we'll say right now is uh, is uh, we're uh, exploring the envelope all the way up to 17.5 until you start needing oxygen. Uh, if you can fly higher, great on you, uh, but... Uh, really, I say the the more important thing is we try to make it low friction. So any altitude you want to fly at, that's the envelope we want to uh, drop in. And right now, I'd say a lot of that work is between 1,000 and 10,000 AGL. Well, when when you were speaking about the uh, uh, the cargo usage being you know 44 percent, 50 percent, that sort of thing, Herb Kelleher with uh, Southwest Airlines, I'm I was honored enough to be able to meet the man while I was in flight school. And he did a lot to uh, make flying economical again by utilizing that empty space. And I'm just wondering when you when you talk about you know being able to fly over at 35 or 40 thousand feet with an airliner, what couldn't they be fit with uh, an ejection pod on that flight so that uh, you know they're flying along at uh, you know flight level 35 and they say oh here's the delivery push the button spit it out and then it goes and lands. I mean then that way weather wouldn't be an issue, right? Yeah, and, and uh, you're you're nailing it. You know, you can fly over the weather, and uh, I'll say uh, uh, stay tuned. That's definitely an interesting okay, place to explore. Gotcha. All right, so I'm, I'm thinking ahead. I'm on page four, and you're on page two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that. Uh, but, you know, very high level conceptually, that is always what it's about. It's about, you know, you don't want the operation to change where you have to step down to, you know, 5,000 sure. AGL or, or 1,000, what we were doing in search and rescue. You want it to be low friction for your aviation process. Sure. Gotcha. Learning all kinds of new stuff here, man. This is great. So we're, we're almost down to the two minute warning on this deal, and it always happens so fast. It seems like we just kind of, you know, get into things and then it's, it's time to go. But, um, you know, I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the future. Um, I mean, I, I know, you know, you got the new video out. Things are starting to uh, look like things are starting to really kind of mature and things are growing. Uh, is there anything that you can kind of talk about where you think the future's going for, for Dash? Yeah, yeah. And I'll say, you know, uh, our look on, on logistics as a whole is we start with all the zero to one. Who are the people who want an air cargo delivery today who just can't get one or can't get one practically? So uh, we focus around on remote island mountain economies, uh, Alaska's, uh, Hawaii's, Puerto Rico. These places are just kind of off the beaten path that you say, yeah, of course they don't get a fast delivery. You know, how could they? Uh, it, it doesn't make sense economically for Montana to get this. The, you know, the next city is 500 miles away. 
those are the conversations we're having today. So I'd say uh, look to the sky. It's going to be a very interesting 2021. Um, uh, and we're really excited. There's a lot of this stuff, on, especially on the harbor side, we just can't show off just yet. Uh, we're so excited to show it off to the greater community. Um, uh, so it's going to be a very fascinating year. Yeah, well, I'll have to keep the. Uh, you'll have to keep me informed. Um, you know, again, I tell people you, you did give the uh, website. Give it again, just in case I uh, missed it. It is, yeah, it is dashshipping.com. So d a s h shipping.com, all one word. All right. Well, yeah, definitely stay in touch, and I'm glad that we had an opportunity to uh, have you on, and I'm glad that you had an opportunity to educate us on some of the nuances of uh, aerial delivery. So thanks for yeah. being on, Joel, and uh, we'll talk to you soon here in the future. Dr. Professor Patrick, it was always great. Gene, so nice to meet you. And if you're ever in Southern California, come fly with us. We'll show you what it's like. Uh, I would love it. I would love it. Yeah. Me too. Maybe the next uh, uh, drone. Uh, usually in December we have a little drone thing and pancake breakfast, but we missed it this year due to COVID. But maybe next year it could be pancake breakfast and dro- uh, aerial delivery. We'll I, I love it. We'll we'll deliver the syrup. Okay. See you later. Cool. Have a good have a good one, everyone. Have a good one, guys. Bye. See you.